On this week's episode of Around the Arc, we're talking LeBron sitting out for the rest of the year and what it means for him and the Lakers moving forward. We're going to take a look at the rookie race that is lighting up the NBA in Trey Young and Luka Doncic. And finally, we're going to debate Kevin Durant's legacy and where it stands at this point in his career. Let's get into it. Hey guys, welcome to episode four of the Around the Arc podcast. I'm Jamie Campbell, your host, and I just want to say I appreciate you being here, taking 20 minutes out of your day to just listen to me ramble on about the NBA. I mean, it really, really means a lot. And I just want to say if you guys are appreciating the content, if you like the podcast, you know, hop on, hop on iTunes or wherever else you're listening to this. Give a wee cheeky five-star review. Never hurts. All right. So anyway, we've got lots of stuff to cover today. So let's just jump right into it, shall we? So LeBron, as if he doesn't already get talked about enough, was in the headlines once again when it was announced that he was going to sit out the remainder of the season. All right, the Lakers, they uh, just last week, I think it was, it became official. They were out of the playoffs. First time that LeBron has missed the playoffs since 2005, his second year in the league. So this is kind of uncharted territory for him. He's missed the most games he ever has in a season this year. So it actually didn't come as too much of a surprise to hear that he was going to sit out the rest of the year because, I mean, why would he play? But then it came out that this reportedly wasn't his choice and he was in fact convinced by the Lakers medical staff to sit out and rest and recover that injured groin that he hurt on Christmas Day against the Warriors. Uh, Their head coach Luke Walton said that he does want to play but the medical staff basically said look it's just not worth it anymore let's make sure you have a healthy summer and then Magic Johnson came out Uh, issued a statement, this is uh, according to Mike Trudell of the Lakers website, he said, this decision will allow his groin to fully heal and is best for the future success of both LeBron and the Lakers. And honestly, I think I've got to to agree with that point. When when the games are meaningless for, for a player like LeBron, especially as he's not getting any younger, I mean, was it this is 15th season, he's 34, so, I mean, I think it'll do him a world of good to, you know, rest up because, man, he hasn't really stopped the last eight years. You know, eight consecutive finals appearances, played more basketball than any other player has during that time. I mean, if anyone needs a break, <laughs> it's, it's this guy. And I'd say he initially suffered that injury on Christmas Day against the Warriors and proceeded to miss 18 games. He missed over a month of action and obviously the team struggled without him during that stretch. And then when he did finally make his return uh, just before the All-Star break, they just they couldn't regain that form that they were showing up until that point earlier in the season where I think they were the fourth seed in the West before he went down with that injury and... 
everything just sort of fell apart after that point. Like I said, this is like uncharted territory for LeBron. 55 games he will have played this year, which is by far the fewest that he's played in his career. Uh, before that, he played, I think, 69 games in 2014-2015, his first year back in Cleveland. So he's missed quite a bit more than that, which is, you know, for an athlete that's as durable as LeBron has been over the course of his career, again, it's just sort of weird to see, kind of. Um, but again, take into account that over the last eight years, so since his first year in Miami, 2011, he has played 763 games. That's averaging over 95 games per year. And that obviously that includes the eight consecutive finals appearances. So I think this will be good for LeBron moving forward. And as a result, good for the Lakers moving forward. You'll have a refreshed, revitalized, healthy, and I think extra motivated LeBron coming into next season, you know, coming off this disappointing first year. I think we can expect to see another peak LeBron year, yes, uh, next year. So what does this mean in the more immediate future? So I think, in theory, without LeBron, the Lakers are going to lose more games. I think they've got six games left this year, five or six games. I mean, if they lose them all, that will improve their chances of getting a high draft pick. But they're not in tanking territory, so it seems very unlikely they're going to get like a top five pick. That just seems a little bit unrealistic. But, you know, crazier things have happened. Remember in 2008 when the Chicago Bulls only had a 1.7% chance of obtaining the number one pick. And what happened? They landed Derrick Rose. I mean, so it's not it's not impossible for them to get maybe a top five pick, but uh, Laker fans, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect that. However, let's just say hypothetically that that does happen. They do get a high draft pick, maybe top seven or something, something along those lines. They do get a high draft pick. That then becomes very interesting in the pursuit of Anthony Davis. So remember, uh, the Lakers couldn't couldn't get a trade done at the deadline uh, for the All-Star break. And once that happened, everyone sort of wrote them off. They're like, yep, they're done ad's going to boston or boston are becoming the front runners because they obviously they have the most to offer in a trade but if the lakers get a high lottery pick that could really change things and there were obviously the rumors that anthony davis wanted to play in la so obviously that's a factor as well so even if the lakers don't manage to land one of the top tier free agents like a Kawhi or a kevin durant or a clay thompson kyrie irving um, if they don't manage to do that, if they manage to do well in the lottery, then that could make an Anthony Davis trade more plausible again. If that were to occur, that on top of having a healthy and extra motivated LeBron going into next year, that that could become interesting, especially given the fact that, you know, KD's almost certainly gone from the Warriors as well as DeMarcus. So, you know, Golden State aren't going to be this unstoppable behemoth that they are right now. And that, that could make things a lot more interesting next year in the Western Conference. But 
That's all speculation. I could be completely wrong. We'll just have to wait and see how that turns out. All right, moving on. Our next topic today, I want to focus on a couple of rookies that are kind of torching the NBA right now. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about, Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Now, for most of the season, it's pretty much been a one-horse race for Rookie of the Year, with Luka Doncic being unbelievable right out of the gate. I mean, he has been historically good for a rookie. But now, especially after the All-Star break with Trey Young's incredible play like he has been averaging i think about 25 points and nine assists or something since the all-star break and his his elite level of play has helped close the gap somewhat in the rookie of the year race i still think luca's gonna win it i still think he should win it but trey young has at least made this interesting but what's more interesting about these two is the fact that they will always be compared to one another given that on draft day, they were traded for one another. In case you don't remember, Luka Luka Doncic was drafted third overall by the Hawks. But then the Hawks traded down to get the fifth pick, which turned into Trey Young. So these guys having been swapped for each other, they're going to be inexplicably tied to each other. They're going to be compared for their entire careers, basically. And if you look a little bit at some draft day trades in the past, some notable trades that have happened in the draft in past years. And you look, they all seem a little bit one-sided. Now, I'll give you a few examples here. So I've got, um, in 1987, 1987, sorry, you had Olden Polynice was traded for Scotty Pippen. How about in 1996, Vladdy Divac traded to the Hornets for Kobe Bryant? Or 1998, Robert Trailer traded for Dirk Nowitzki. Or more recently, 2005, I think it was, Tyrus Thomas traded to the Bulls for Lamarcus Aldridge. Or one of the more notable ones to have in, happen even more recently than that in 2011, where the Indiana Pacers traded George, received George Hill in exchange for Kawhi Leonard. Now. When these draft day trades happen, they often seem to have a clear winner and a loser. And if you looked at the first few months of the season, like through December, say, this Luca Trey trade seemed to be heading in the same direction. You know, people were writing Trey Young off, you know, 20 something games into the season. To be, I mean, to be fair, he had a very inefficient start. His shot wasn't falling. He was shooting less than 25% from, from three for the first couple of months of the year. But people were just writing him off then and there and saying the Hawks made a huge mistake and Dallas are the clear winners of the trade. But all that hate has died down now that Trey is balling in Atlanta. I mean, it really is. And you don't hear, you know, you no longer hear people saying, Oh, oh, the Hawks screwed up that trade. I mean, you, you know, you're no longer hearing that. Although Luca is still, I think, the better player and the better prospect, I think both teams are pretty happy with what they got. So I just wanted to take a little look at these two rookies, have a look at their games and how they compare to one another and what this means moving forward 
for each of their respective teams. So you've got Luka Doncic, the the bigger and stronger of the two, and Matt, he he uses his body incredibly well to get off basically any shot he wants, and obviously he has that lethal go-to step-back jumper. I mean, most great players, they don't come into the NBA with a go-to signature move. They, they usually take years to develop that, but Doncic had that from day one going in, which has helped him a tremendous amount. Then you look at Trey, Trey Young. He's the smaller and quicker of the two, and he's showing now that he's adjusted to the speed of the NBA game, he's able to knife into the lane and, you know, really, really carve up defenses that way. And I think what's opened this up for him, what's made this easier for him, is that his shot has started to fall. I think he's shooting around 39-40% uh, in the second half of the season, and that really opens up his game, and he really seems to have figured out the NBA game. He's He's got it sussed. And while while Luca may be an expert at creating space, you know, with his step back and, you know, the way he uses his body and his size, Trey manages to exploit any space that he's given. So if he's if you give him an inch, he he will not hesitate to pull up. And it doesn't matter if he's thirty feet from the hoop. He has no no fear of jacking up deep threes. So you've got Luca who creates space and then Trey who exploits the space. You know, like both of them both of them are outstanding passers and great, great playmakers. But when comparing the two in this area, I would give I would give Trey the slight edge, given that he is he is more of a true point guard, and that's not, not a knock against Luca, that's just, you know, the roles that they have in their respective teams where Luca's more of the go-to scorer. But um, when you look at Trey Young, I know he's drawn comparisons to Steph Curry given his shooting ability and his range and things, but I see a lot of Steve Nash in him when it comes to his craftiness and his vision and the way he gets his other guys involved. So again, not to knock Doncic at all, but they're both, they're both great, great playmakers. But where... But where Luca comes in and shines is with his overall versatility. So with his size, I mean, he's six seven, I think, about two hundred and twenty pounds. So like, this is a big dude, right? He's he's a big he's a big guy, and he uses that size incredibly well. But what's more, is he is unbelievably skilled for his size. He has a tremendous skill set, which allows him to do almost anything on the court. He has no real limitations. And I mean, in, in today's NBA, he is able to legitimately play four positions, definitely three positions, but I think four positions with the way the NBA is going this year, or well, in recent years. Um, neither, neither one of these guys are really known for their defense. They're not, they're not great defenders. However, given his size and smarts, and I think his natural defensive instincts, I think Luca does help his team out a little bit more on that end. But I think as as they gain more experience in the NBA, they get more used to the style of play. I think defense is something they'll be able to become respectable at. I don't expect either of them to become any sort of all-world defender, but they can become respectable at that end, I think. And I think the main area 
where these guys, these two, have set themselves apart from the rest of this rookie class, which is a pretty, a pretty darn good rookie class with guys like, you know, DeAndre and Jaron Jackson Jr. and, you know, guys like that. It's a good rookie class, but where, but where Luca and Trey have managed to separate themselves, I think, is in clutch situations. Yeah, you have a look at the numbers, and these guys, you know, these guys compare well to the rest of the NBA when it comes to, you know, uh, field goal percentage and just the the field goals attempted, free throws attempted, three-pointers attempted. They're all, you know, in the sort of top 20, 25 in the entire league in these categories, and they're just rookies. And you can tell just uh, by the eye test, watching them play, you can tell they are not scared of the moment. They seize the moment. They like taking those shots in, a, in those clutch situations. And they've already, both of them have had multiple kind of legendary clutch moments throughout the course of the season. I don't know if you remember early on in the year you had um, Luca hit that crazy off-balance corner three against Portland, I think it was, to send the game into overtime. Or just just a couple of nights ago you had, you had Trey against uh, the Bucks. Um and the Hawks played the Bucks. You had Trey hitting back-to-back daggers in the last six seconds, including that crazy, ridiculous, off-balance game winner as time expired. The kind of the putback jump shot, kind of yeah. It was one of the one of the stranger and crazier game winners of the year, and I think of the past few years. So you can tell watching these guys, I mean, they have that killer clutch gene in them. Now, in terms of the Rookie of the Year award, I think that should be a foregone conclusion. That should go to Luca. Uh, despite Trey's recent hot streak, I don't think that should change. I think Luca deserves the award. I think he will get it. However, when it comes to who won the trade, that has become a more interesting discussion now that, you know, Trey Young has started to live up to the expectations that he had coming in. But I don't think we can really have a definitive answer to that question of who won the trade until at least after this year's draft, because uh, we'll need to see where, where Dallas lands in the lottery. And if they... I think it's if they don't land in the top four, the pick could end up going to the Hawks. So if the Hawks get maybe like a like a number 10 pick or something, and they get, you know, a decent serviceable NBA player from that, you know, you think of guys drafted later on in the in the lottery, guys like Donovan Mitchell and Yanis and Kawhi and these guys. I'm not saying <laughs> there's going to be another one of there's going to be another one of them in this class, but if they if they can find a gem, sort of an underappreciated prospect, and pair that with Trey Young, I mean, you could be looking at the Hawks as the potential winners of this trade. But as I say, we'll just need to see how all that plays out. Either way, I don't think either the Hawks or the Mavs, I don't think either team can complain about where they are right now. Each of them has a foundational piece, a franchise player to build around. For the Hawks, you've got a, a point guard with bits of bits of Steph Curry and Damian Lillard in him, but also little bits of Steve Nash, you know, the way he creates for others, his vision. And then for Dallas, you've got the 
the heir apparent to Dirk Nowitzki, just as Dirk's retiring, they've found his replacement, uh, the Slovenian sensation in, in Luka Doncic, who is just looking like, he's already looking like a, he could be a superstar in the next year or two. And, you know, we forget as well that Dallas has also obtained Kristaps. I've got Kristaps Porzingis in the mix as well. So each of these teams have tremendously bright futures as long as they stay healthy and everything. When it comes when it comes to who won the trade, I don't know. I think both I think I think both teams came out really well here and neither can really complain. As fans, I think we're really lucky to be able to witness these guys grow and develop in the NBA because these are two special players, man, that are going to help, you know, carry the torch into the sort of new new generation of NBA stars. I think once, you know, guys like LeBron and obviously D-Wade's retiring this year, you know, we're kind of, wit- we're starting to witness the beginning of the end of an era Almost, I think the NBA is in good hands going forward with guys like Trey Young and Luka Doncic. And with that, that brings us to our final topic of the day, which is Kevin Durant, who a couple years ago became the most polarizing player in the NBA. And that hasn't really died down since then. You, you've you got really two distinct sides of this Kevin Durant argument. You've got the, you've got the side that say, oh, everything he, he does in Golden State has an asterisk because of, you know, the way the free agency move went down and, you know, the way he left Oklahoma City to the team that beat them and the playoffs and, you know, all that stuff. So you've got the people that say there's going to be an asterisk next to his name and the things he's accomplished in Golden State. And then you've got the other side, which say, well, it was totally, he totally had the right to make his own free agency decision. He could go wherever he wanted. He picked Golden State and, you know, a ring's a ring. Everything he's accomplished there, you know, why should there be an asterisk there? Because he's won. He's he's overcome the hump that he couldn't overcome in Oklahoma City. He 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 made it. He he won those rings. He won those finals MVPs. So why why try and discredit that? And honestly, you can see you can see the logic from from both sides because obviously, you know, you remember the way it did go down like in those 2016 playoffs when uh, uh, Kevin Durant was still on the Thunder. And they were playing the Warriors in the in the conference finals. They had them up three games to one. So they had three chances to defeat them, knock them off, move on to the finals. And they just, they couldn't get it done. And what's more, especially in that game six, Kevin Durant came up short. He was not the only reason, but he was a big reason why the Thunder couldn't overcome the Warriors in that series. I mean, I think in that game six, he shot something like, 10 of 31 from the field like he was not good in those games and then to turn around after the season's over and say hey I'm just going to go and join the team that beat us you can see you can see why people you you can see why people would think oh is um 
is not competitive. He's going to the team that beat him, and what's more, going to the team that had the best record of all time. This was already a championship team without him, you know. So you can understand, you can understand why people want to want to put an asterisk next to his accomplishments in Golden State. And also on top of the fact, that especially this year, if you if you took Kevin Durant off the Warriors right now and replaced him with just an average an average starting caliber small forward someone like you know Otto Porter for the Bulls you know a good serviceable kind of do it all small forward would Golden State still be contenders absolutely I think they would still be favorites by by a fair mark as well, because you look at the rest of their team with Steph and Clay, the Splash Brothers, and DeMarcus Cousins, Draymond Green, who's still the kind of Swiss Army knife, do it all, power forward. You know, that is still a championship team there without Kevin Durant. So, again, you can see you can see where that side's coming from. But then I'd like to I'd like to address the other side, the kind of the the in defense of Kevin Durant. No matter where you go, no matter what team you play for. If you win a ring, you win a ring. Like that is that is not easy to do. I mean, no matter how talented a team you are, it's still a challenging road to win a championship. And not only that, but win it back to back. So that's that's no easy feat and that's nothing to just sort of write off and kind of discredit. And on top of that, not only has Kevin Durant won back to back rings, but he did it being the best player on those teams, winning those finals MVPs. So it's not like he just jumped on this bandwagon and and rode the coattails of Steph and Clay to a couple of rings. No, he, he went in there and he established himself as the best player on that team in those finals series. And he went toe-to-toe with LeBron James, who's his kind of nemesis up until that point. So... And you've you've got to you've got to respect that you've got to give him credit for that. Now, where do I think this leaves KD's legacy at this point? Honestly, I don't know, and I don't think we should focus on that until his career is all said and done, because I think his career can still go so many different different ways that we can't fairly, you know compare his legacy right now to to other greats we can't because it's not a finished book he's still writing his story now i think a lot of it will depend on where he goes this summer i think he's definitely gone from golden state i don't think it would be a smart move for him to stay in golden state past this year because all that does is give uh, the side against him the side against kd that only gives them more ammunition you know so I think he's gone from Golden State, and a lot of it will depend on where he goes. So if he if he goes to a team like the Knicks or the Nets or the Clippers, you know, either either a lottery team in the case of the Knicks or just good good solid teams in the Nets and the Clippers with no no superstars, just lots of good players. You know, they're well coached. They're just good playoff teams. If he goes to a team like that and say carries them to a title or carries them to a finals appearance or or makes them legitimate contenders for the next you know five years or so if he does that and sort of goes solo as the lone superstar that will that will do wonders for his legacy i think and that will 
sort of dilute the hate that he received from his time in Golden State, I think, and will will kind of eradicate the notion that he deserves an asterisk next to those accomplishments there. But then if he went if he went and joined another contending team like Boston or like the Lakers even, just because LeBron's there, I feel like he would still that 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 hate would still be there. And he still he still wouldn't be one hundred percent validated in the eyes of all the fans just because they would they would say oh you're just you're needing to go and uh, join LeBron to win you need LeBron to win another title or oh you need to go and join that stacked Celtics team to to win another title you can't prove that you can that you can you know sort of be the clear cut guy on a title contending team um, so I think. A lot of it's still up in the air. Uh, it depends where where he goes in free agency and and in terms of his legacy, I just I I think we should we should leave debating players' legacies until after they've retired, after everything's said and done, because only then can you have a full picture of a player's career. So, but. Either way, I'm excited to see what happens. I am I am excited for this summer. So much is going to change in the NBA with so many star players becoming free agents and obviously the Anthony Davis trade situation. You've got so much. And then, oh, I totally forgot the, the draft class this year, Zion. I mean, seeing where he goes. I mean, this is just going to be a crazy summer, I think, in the NBA and... There's going to be lots of change, a lot of change, and I'm ex- I'm excited to I'm excited to see what happens. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. As always, I want to thank you guys for tuning in. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If getting this weekly podcast isn't quite enough to satisfy your basketball NBA cravings, then be sure to head on to SirCharlesInCharge.com where new articles are posted every single day covering every aspect of the NBA that you could possibly think of. And with that, I will see you next week for episode 5.